Welcome to All of You with Madeleine Munro, a space where we explore vulnerable conversations and topics centered around a trauma-informed approach to healing and growth, where we welcome all that we are exactly as we are. Hi, loved ones. Thank you for joining me for episode three of the All of You podcast with me, Madeleine Monroe. Today, I am honored to have Amy White of the Temple of the Feminine, who is a trauma-informed somatic sexual healing coach with expertise in tantric energy work and the sacred feminine arts. I am excited to share this conversation with you because I feel like it's a much needed conversation within the field of sexuality. I've had the pleasure and joy of journeying with Amy throughout the years as we've studied similar modalities and studied on the same courses at different points. And I really appreciate and respect the wisdom and awareness that she brings to these topics, such as sexual awakenings and navigating becoming practitioners, taking ownership and responsibility for ourselves and our triggers and how we can choose ourselves and how we choose to share parts of ourselves or all of ourselves with others from a place of awareness, integrity, healthy boundaries, and interdependence. So I'm really looking forward to you hearing what we talk about in this episode. If you would like to connect, feel free to share this episode uh, with your friends and with other people and tag us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm so looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us for this journey. It's an honor to journey with you. Hi, Amy. I'm so grateful to be sat opposite you today, especially Mm -hmm. as having known you over a few years and getting to have the privilege of being a friend of yours and really you holding space for me professionally and in a sister capacity. So I feel really grateful for this time to chat. Yeah, so thank you for coming on. and. Yeah, witnessing, yeah, the deep growth that you've been through and all the wisdom that has really flowed through that I've personally just seen in one pocket of your life in the last few years. I'd love to know a bit more about, yeah, your journey and yeah, how you came to set up uh, Temple of the Feminine. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Nadine. Thanks for having me. I feel very seen by your kind words. Yeah. So... Temple of the Feminine came about in, I think, 2017, perhaps. And so it was kind of, I mean, it's such an interesting question because there's just so many kind of layers. And I I, I do have a couple of like catalyst stories to, that I can share, but it kind of it evolves as, as we, you know, anyone who kind of gets into this will realize everything sort of takes on a life of its own and, you start to peel back different layers and different things come up. So I suppose I had, I mean, everything comes from some form of trauma. <laughs> Basically, I should walk around with content warning because I have no thoughts in these things. They're just so integral in my life. But um, mm. I was maybe on some sort of like spiritual pers- personal development path for a while whilst living the kind of normal life. I'm doing kind of quotation marks, you know, working in a normal job, which maybe I'll get onto in a bit. But um, I think, and, and I just sort of studied Reiki, I was meditating, but it was kind of in the background. It was kind of wasn't that cool. I, it wasn't really in my the rest of my world. And then my mum passed away in 2016. And then that... Yeah, thanks, Maddie. I know we've we've shared some some conversations about passing and grief and, and the 
the kind of catalyst that that brings. And it really kind of gets you looking at, well, I mean, I guess it got me looking at like, what is life, you know, and what is death and where do we go and trying to make sense of it. Also, there was a lot of repressed emotion. I had like a very, very obvious visceral experience of being distraught and then getting drunk what the night after my mum passed and it just shutting completely off like very very obvious emotional repression and it was, so I was like what what's happened it's like someone's turned me off like to everything and so I went on this sort of journey of self-exploration almost like trying to make myself cry going into yoga classes like willing my heart open all this kind of stuff I wasn't coping because you know just walking around this like bucket of repressed grief <laughs> or yes. bottle should I say no opening no <laughs> no access and you just you aren't coping I was irritable tired anxious and I just didn't feel like I fit into my life anymore. So I decided to go to India, obviously. What else does one do? <laughs> um, for like a few months for my, you know, to find myself, to release some of this grief. And ever being the person who <laughs> has to do self-development work to gain some sort of skill or acquire some sort of, um, yeah, certification, I decided to train in meditation, right? And I thought process for myself and it would also be something I could add to this kind of like Reiki energy work because even before this in my head I was like when I'm older when I'm like ready to retire I'm gonna open up like a holistic shop and center right you know it's because it's a very casual thing to do it's very easy and you know when I'm winding down in life disclaimer it's not easy it's not casual it's fucking (laughs) hard I thought you know I had this like very hedonistic view of like ah yeah I'll just totally tap into my hippie roots when I'm older anyway that got massively brought forward so I went so I went to India and I was like oh you know what? I'm going to do some self-development and I'm going to do some sort of you know trainings as well right and dive deeper into this I did my meditation teacher training did some sound healing training and and you, you know I was kind of getting towards five months and, and I was like I'm kind of running out of money. I haven't found myself. <laughs> I was in Goa. I was like, it's really hot. I'm just sunbathing. I still feel like shit. I'm getting annoyed. I'm getting bit by mosquitoes and bed bugs. I've had enough, but I'm not ready to go home because I haven't found myself. Mm-hmm. And so my friend said, why don't you do a yoga teacher training? I know you don't want to be a yoga teacher, but it might help you with your holistic wellness center when you're older. <laughs> I was like, that's a very good idea. And I did love... Like I was very much into the kind of Hindu aspect of Mm. um, the kind of Indian spiritual ideologies and and practices, right? And in my meditation teacher training, we were getting up and we were um, doing pujas and mantras and, you know, jalaneti and like cleansing our eyes and our noses and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was really into it. I loved it. And so I thought, yeah, yoga teacher training might bring that structure back for me and just give me another skill. So I was like, yeah, I want to, okay, I'm going to do that. I was like, but I need to be not in ashram conditions. Sorry, everyone. And he's like, you know, the beautiful holy places. I was, I was in grief. I was not ready for Mm -hmm. an ashram. (laughs) I wanted to be in comfort. I needed to be mothered. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I was being, you know, without being mothered, you become a brat. So I was Mm. like, my inner brat was there. Like, no, I've had enough. I'm hot and tired. Everything is so hard. Everything's so hard. And anyway, 
So I looked on the Yoga Alliance website. The first school that came up was in Rishikesh, which I love. Mm, and it, I love Rishikesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it was like swimming pool, air conditioning, starts on Monday. I was like, wow, I'm going. And then long story short, I walked into a Kundalini Tantra yoga teacher training. And <laughs> <laughs> because it had a deluxe room available for me. And um, yeah, and I had like a really profound Kundalini awakening. And and it is one of these like glorious stories because the minute I got off the plane in India and I landed, someone was talking to me about Kundalini and I was like, what? what's that? Someone was like, here's a crystal charged with Kundalini. Do you want it? <laughs> you know, now that's, that's crap. <laughs> I mean, in the sense they said it turned purple because it was charged with Kundalini. I don't believe it. At the time, I was like, give me that crystal. <laughs> But yeah, so this Kundalini yoga teacher training woke everything up, woke up my Kundalini, right? I was having these insights, these kind of downloads, if you want, you know, like they're just like so much self-awareness was coming through and so much kind of like, like euphoria, connection to Mm. mind, to spirit. It was, yeah, one of the most profound times in my life, I suppose, and in that, you know, we were learning about the concepts of, we were learning like Hindu Tantra and, and sort of white Tantra. So like the Kundalini stuff, it wasn't what I know to be Yogi Bhajan, was a different teacher. Mm-hmm. And so we were learning about like the deities and we were learning mantras and we were learning about masculine and feminine, right? And this kind of, t- it's something like I was learning and there was something shifting in me around this feminine energy. And I had a massive awakening of sexual energy. (laughs) I was horny AF. (laughs) And I remember just being like on the the like the banks of the Ganga River. It was like at the bottom of the Himalayas and and being like feeling like so like, you know how you'd like the floaty feminine. I'm doing it now, but no one can. (laughs) can't see me but like that really floaty expansive Mm -hmm. like feminine energy like in in this like erotic sensual sort of sexual energy so obviously I'm going back to my bedroom and I'm like okay wow I'm surely I'm just gonna touch myself and explode and it didn't happen (laughs) it was like oh I've got these really like you know I would go from that space and then go to like masturbate and like stop breathing, like hold my breath, mm-hmm. my body, tighten up, get into fantasy. And I was like, oh, wow. I just kind of really became an observer of what I was doing. And then I, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up a little bit. I came back to the UK, was sort of trying to integrate, but still in, in my other life. I started kind of like noticing the patterns that were playing out with men and how I was just sort of like a bit all over the place. So I went celibate for a year. And in this time I started to, I went celibate with anyone else. And I started to explore myself and my own sexual energy and a lot of self-practice. I, it was boring. I had to sort of learn to to come whilst meditating for a start, like to just break this, you know, like porn addiction, these fantasies mm-hmm. going to this disembodied connection to my sexual energy. In this time, I was really going into the feminine. I started to do women's circles. I was teaching sort of Kundalini stuff. So the women's work and the, the feminine work started to really develop. And that was sort of the, the temple of the feminine. That's how that started. And it was sort of like sensuality and yeah, reconnecting to the feminine. And then when I was ready, I started to kind of bring in the, the sexual energy stuff. And I, you know, as you know, Maddie, like I've done, then went on to do a number of trainings around that, that I just keep filtering in and keep evolving my work. So that is how it started. 
and it has just developed and and rooted down, rooted and grounded in a lot more, right? I'm less sort of uh, out there and, you know, connected to there and I'm more like what? It's been a journey back into my body, I suppose. And now I integrate as well. I couldn't see this at the time when I started, but prior to this journey, I worked in the criminal justice system as a probation officer and I worked with high-risk people who'd committed high-risk offences. So I worked with a lot of people who had committed sort of sexual offences, right, mm-hmm. and crimes and domestic violence and, and all this stuff that has given me like a real understanding of the world of sex and shadow and mm-hmm. the human psyche. And actually now I would say, although I'm, you know, very spiritual, a lot of the work that I do my understanding about humans and sex and life probably comes more from an integrated sort of psychological understanding. It, it will, you know, like connection to God and goddess is, is always there, but like to root it down, it's like integrating spirituality with psychology. I feel is really, really important. I was thinking about this yesterday. I guess Carl Jung is like one of the main te- teachers. And I, yeah, yes. I was like, I need to really get on board with more of his teachings. And every, I've not read too much of his work, but every time I see something, I'm like, yes, that feels spot on or that that's teaching me something that's learning something it's developed into that as well and and now I feel more integrated with all these parts and how they all show up in my world oh this is so (laughs) potent yeah and I feel like I was listening to you so eager and excited because I didn't know the full backstory I was like (laughs) oh wow and then what happened and it's beautiful to know your work now and having had the pleasure of being in one of your rituals when you were teaching careers and stuff and really teaching this Kundalini piece, how you've really woven this together to create a very pragmatic offering, you know, really grounded offering of these potentially esoteric principles. Yeah. 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 I mean that, you know, when you think the great thing about Kundalini and, and yoga as well, there's, there's quite a lot of research that backs it up, right? We're learning more about the body and like what happens on a sort of energetic and, and cellular level. I wish I could give you some research, but yeah, I don't have it to the top of my head. It's almost like the, yeah, the mechanics of the body, right? And how, yeah, in, in some sense, it, it feels sort of magic, that you know the careers that they do this and then on another sense when you kind of understand like cellular memory and nervous systems and you know our physiology it makes total sense at the same time Mm. yeah yeah totally hearing that dual perspective yeah and how powerful this work is and how it how it does work how it changes us on a physiological level yeah Mm. but one thing that is really that has really helped me to be where I am, I suppose, is the integration of different perspectives, you know? So Kriyas are great, right? And Kundalini Yoga is great. And we can create these shifts on an embodied level and have a, you know, and have experiences of oneness and the divine and God and sexual energy. I believe we also need to really have a a cognitive understanding of what that means to our lives and what that in and what we what that means to our place in our lives and our place in the collective and the world. So, you know, it's great to have experiences of oneness, right? But then we, you know, are are quite a common 
spiritual view or teaching and in that space is we are all one, right? Which is great, right? We are, and we are also very separate, mm-hmm. right? And it's like you've got to kind of understand the both and have an experience of both, I believe, to have a really integrated way of, of being and living and teaching and understanding the world. Because as Maddie, I know that you'll know this, you know, like these sort of spiritual teachings when we have these experiences in these high energy spiritual practices of like oneness and no separation and divine, like very easily bypasses the fact that we are human. Right. And there's a lot of humanness that needs to be addressed. Right. Mm. And when we're too in our human, I suppose, and we're too like navel gazing separation, me, 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 then we lose sight of the fact that we are part of a collective. So it feels like the two really need to be integrated. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I so resonate with what you're speaking to and having gone to either side of the pendulum, you know, being so open and like really yeah. exploring and just love it, like lo- loving and like really being ravished by the sexual energy that's possible. And then also being on that spectrum of like celibacy and the inwardness and the focus. And so, yeah. but really, I guess similar journeys, it's like, the, the healing, the health, the li- like the life is found at the center. That's where we can live from like a grounded place where yeah. we can actually, yeah, be human rather than these kind of aspects or these parts of our growth and healing just running the show. Yeah, totally. And trying to get from one to the other all the time, right? Struggling, like when you have those experiences like that, like, oh, I'm so open, my heart is open, I'm one. And then you realize that you're human and you're like, shit, no, I've got to get back to that other place. And and, and it can create, it's a bit a, a splitting within oneself, I suppose. It can create this splitting and something just that's been really healing on my journey is knowing that I'm all the parts mm. valid. And it's not like, you know, I hear it a lot like, oh, you know, every time there's a moon, people are like killing parts of themselves, (laughs) burning it, that part died. And it's like, parts do die. (laughs) That's really cracked me up because it's so true. It's like every moon, new or full, it's like, and this part is gone. And it's Yeah, I'm ready to let go of this part of me. I I mean, I used to do it. I was like, you know, every moon was like desperately writing down all the things I hate about myself and burning it in a bowl. Right. And now I'm like, maybe that part doesn't need to die. Maybe it's just a part of me and I need to kind of like scoop it up and bring it forward and love it and feel the gifts of it, you know, and work with it you know this part's probably telling me something you know often it's like the part that wants to die is the part that's not okay with something that's happening in your life and it's like maybe you should listen to that part <laughs> yeah, yeah that's so true yeah oh, I'm really seeing images of myself yeah on, on these rituals and you know each month like I'm letting go of scarcity mindset oh, <laughs> yeah, it's gone now it's gone. <laughs> that was it I didn't have to do anything else it was just yeah. You gotta laugh. I've definitely I've been through all those things. Yeah, and I, I really love this humorous side of spirituality and healing. I really feel like it gives so much self-compassion and permission for us to kind of like work it out as we go along. That we don't need to be perfect, we don't have to have everything right, we can be messy in it and, and be kind with ourselves. Yeah, totally. And you know, I laugh like not to, you know, I think the laughter has replaced what may have been shame for me mm. I, I might have felt like real shame like that I have a scarcity mindset I used to have this like huge 
like shadowy kind of belief that because I'm sort of a spiritual practitioner or a spiritual person that I need to be this sort of perfect spiritual being. And like, I would just shove like anything that wasn't that into the shadow and mm. try with every moon you know <laughs> and it's like now it's it's like I can laugh about these parts of myself like they are me and and they are worth like you know deserving and I'm a whole person mm. I'm not a part of a person you know mm. and, yeah, and it's from doing that I'm more fully in my body and I feel mm. more grounded and integrated I'm sure there's parts that I'm still chopping off when when they're ready to uh, <laughs> come back forward yeah inviting them in mm. I do believe you know my core beliefs are not binary they're not that polarized they're not this notion of good I'm good outside is evil it's like I and this also is a lot of the integration of my work within the criminal justice system and seeing mm. and experiencing it right I am just as capable of doing the harm that was done with the people that I worked with as they are, right? And I think mm-hmm. for me, they, this is the, the shadow, that's what I understand, the shadow work, like seeing that you are just as capable of doing all the things that every other human on this planet has done, but bar it be from maybe a different experience or a different way of being brought up or a different way of living or a different kind of physiology in your, or in your brain or, or yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like, yeah, I'm good and I'm evil. And the, the more I kind of cut that out and project that outwards, the less integrated I can be and the less whole and the less grounded and, and the less able I am to do my job, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. kind of essentially saying, you know, people are having experiences that I would never have because I'm too good for that. I'm too pure. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really just appreciate all that you've shared and this real humility of which you say it that I feel like adds to your groundedness and actually your wisdom as a woman and as a practitioner because I feel like you know as you were saying that around that this could never happen to me I was reflecting on trainings where you know I've been shamed by teachers or like you know feeling that they're above it and this is something that you know perpetuates this kind of like trauma cycle of going to these these places, these trainings, these workshops, and then having to heal from something a teacher has said. And then, yeah, going, then having to process that or taking that on or putting that in the baggage. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I resonate because I have handed over my power to people in authority or people that I have perceived as being sort of above me and wiser. And mm. I still notice that part of myself who gets a bit like, Hoo! jittery in front of someone that I kind of maybe idolize and and for good reason sometimes I you know adore someone's teachings and and who they are but I guess I try you know now we can track it because we've seen how we can do that but you know yeah when you don't have this grounded sense of self when you don't see the shadows piece in that way and you don't see that you are all of it and as by virtue of being human you are capable of all the experiences on the spectrum of human experience when you deny that when you like cut that half I'm so you can't for whoever's listening you can't see but I'm making like a scale with my hands and for example one end is good great amazing and the other end is pure evil nasty right and if you kind of like cut that that 
lower half out and be like, that's not me. You know, it, that's a real, the, the, it's a God complex, right? You get like yes. this God complex sense of self. Whenever you give someone that much power and they don't have a sense of their shadow, that that shadow will come out in harm. And we see it in spiritual communities all the time. It does not surprise me at all the amount of abuse claims that come out from these communities. Mm-hmm. Because if you are saying you are so light, your dark is going to be fucking dark. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I yeah. see it on smaller levels, you know, I'm a light worker. I'm a light worker. I don't really want to know about your light. I want to know how in tune you are with your shadow and your dark mm-hmm. because I'm not safer with people who have a have that in check and have awareness and are constantly looking at that because that's the part that's going to harm people. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be aware of it and we need to be aware of the harm. Ultimately, I don't believe we can ever go through this world and not do harm to someone yeah. because <laughs> we're going to trigger people. We're going to upset people. We're human. We're going to get angry. We're going to say things like that's going to happen. Right. But it's like, how big and how much do we manage it? And how do we take ownership and how do we heal? How do we come back into connection? How do we make reparations and how as well are we taking responsibility for the power that we've been given? You know? So like when you said like with, with teachers, like how are they yielding that power? Yeah. Yeah. You can either deny power or acknowledge it and like bring it out of the shadow again. Right. Taking yeah, and I'm really feeling the words that you've spoken at the level of my body, reflecting on certain trainings at, within the sexuality community, you know, and it feels like getting to a certain point where I've realized that certain things weren't okay. And something that I really loved is seeing you speak out about certain sexual allegations, you know, yeah. and what's gone on. And <clears throat> like you said, you know, when we have power, when teachers have power, how they yield that, how they respond to that. And in certain cases, we've seen play out some really shadowy, like gaslight behavior that has not been okay for victims of abuse. And this feels like this unspoken vortex that can play out within the sexuality community. Yes. Yes. And I I love that you've asked me this because it's something that is really that really matters to me mm-hmm. right I I mean I've had experiences where a really powerful teacher spiritual teacher right because they can be powerful powerful people can do bad things right we know that often the people with the most power have yeah. the capability to do the most harmful things right mm-hmm. you have to look at our like governments and things like that <laughs> You know, once you understand it, once you see it, you can't unsee it, okay? Mm. So so powerful teachers, right, can take people, their students, into altered states of consciousness, Yeah, right? Altered states of consciousness through energy work, right? Sexual energy Mm. or, or through, yeah, energy work, right? Working with energy. When you're in an altered state of consciousness, it's not dissimilar to being drunk or on drugs, yeah. that, right? And if you have responsibility, if you're the teacher, if you're the person who led them there, right, you need to have responsibility for how that person navigates in that space or always navigates in that space. And we are adults and we're sovereign beings and we choose and consent to go into those spaces and have those experiences, right? 
Um, the difficulty is when you start having sex with these people <laughs> or have sex with each other, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, there's sort of, I've seen two ways of it being done. Like the preferred way is when it's out of the shadows and it's spoken to and it's like, yeah, sex can happen in between the practitioners, the facilitators and, and the, the participants, right? And when it's out in the open, there can be an accountability process around it. It's still not foolproof, I'm sure. I've had experiences where I've been in all states of consciousness and I've had sexual experiences with those who I perceive to be in authority because I've given them, right? We've got to understand as well how we play a part. I have given them a godlike status, mm. right? So I am projecting that onto them and God giddy and you know probably like a lot of daddy issues as well and had some sort of like sexual interaction and then felt really fucking shameful afterwards and that's mm. the process right I wouldn't that's not abuse that's not you know I don't know if I would even say that that would be out of integrity and in the space but it, it's something to be aware of for everyone right but then there's this this part where it's not out in the open Right. And it's happening behind closed doors. And it's like, you know, and people are participants, you know, people who come to spiritual retreats and practices and are vulnerable, right? We don't go there when life is ticking along and everything's fine. We go there when we're on our ass and we're mm-hmm. like, we want help and we're looking for something. And normally our own sort of support and family structures are on the floor. And that's why often we we want a community, we want to be involved in something, we want to belong. And I just think there needs to be a more of an awareness of how we navigate those dynamics, yeah. right? And and the power that those who are leading and those who are kind of in charge have, mm-hmm. right? As much as we can say, yeah, it's again, it's that that duality. It's like, yeah, we're all powerful. We all have our own power and we choose where we give it and, and where we hold on to it, like how we embody it. But also there are very human dynamics as well going on, right? So there's like the, the kind of higher level of, yeah, well, we're all powerful beings and we're all responsible for our own experience. And then you come down to the very human level and say, actually, we've got to acknowledge our, our status, Mm. in the dynamic and our status in the world and the status in this sort of particular community or collective and treat and work with that accordingly right to do less harm so I mean yeah I it's such a it's such a big piece because I can't imagine any of these teachers want to admit where there's been wrongdoing you know there's two sides it would yeah, I mean, it would be cat- it's catastrophic for, I mean, I, I don't even have particular teachers in mind. You only need to go on to Guru Mag, for example, to see the, <laughs> the different accusations. But it's catastrophic to their whole livelihood to admit it, right? We also don't, on the other side, the lay people, we, we don't understand sexual abuse enough. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you admit it you're cancelled, you're done, bang, right? And that doesn't really allow space for accountability, reparation and rehabilitation and reintegration. You know, I believe that people can do these things and probably it's so in the shadow that that teachers that are doing harmful things don't even sort of acknowledge or realise that they're doing it. 
because they've created, and I know this from working in the criminal justice system, like they will create such a strong identity around being good or not not being the person that does that that to admit that will probably create some sort of like psychological collapse within them yeah you know they they genuinely are like will will convince themselves of something and surround themselves Mm -hmm. for that all right for me now it's like who's on your team right Mm -hmm. like are they people who will call their call their teacher into account or are they sort of submissive and like bowing at the feet of their teacher you know Mm -hmm. these are all little things i think you know once you see it you can't unsee it yeah you know these structures are set up for harm to occur, right? But yeah, until there is like a massive shift collectively understanding this, of course, we're going to stay rigid. These people mm-hmm. are going to stay rigid in their belief that they, they are not evil and they're not wrongdoers. And then those who have been harmed, they're going to be rigid in their belief that they have been harmed and this person needs to be sort of cancelled, brought down, you know, and, ju- you know, re- understandably, But I wonder if there is, if we are really in this space of evolution and consciousness, which I just don't think those words are synonymous with spirituality anymore, to be Mm -hmm. honest. But if those, you know, if we really want to raise consciousness and evolution, these are the conversations that we need to be having. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for you speaking to this with your wisdom and your insight from the criminal justice system and your insight into different communities and trainings within sexuality and trauma and piecing these together so that we can have this dual perspective on how it works rather than just one sided or, or just wanting to make anyone wrong in the situation. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, what you're speaking to is like calling into these more trauma-informed systems to so that these circumstances can't play out as easily within the shadow. And then also this restorative, transformative justice system so that if there is a violation of boundaries or there is a piece out of consent, how can we call in people to greater integrity rather than call them out? Yes, exactly. That's it. Because we, you know, again, if we believe that people are just inherently bad and if they do something wrong, that's it. They're evil. They're beyond. It, it's it's really, again, I hope that people listening can see the, the kind of um, cognitive dissonance in the mm. spirit. As in like we're all there for self-growth and evolution, but essentially we then if somebody does something bad, we consider they're like beyond help, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like well, that that's that goes against this belief of evolution and growth, right? So we want to create spaces where I mean, I think on on a kind of I say to ground levels in like the people that are going into these spaces and being participants, we've got to keep our own projections around. God like status in check, you know, because mm. someone can walk around thinking that they're God, but they don't really get that status or that kind of a uh, power until we give it to them, mm. you know? But yeah, I think it's like a collective acknowledgement of what's happening, right? And and yeah, they're seeing that, okay, your guru or your teacher is a human. Mm-hmm. And they make mistakes just like you are. And what what are we going to do when someone we love, right? Because there's a lot of love projects projected onto these teachers as well. When they make a mistake, yeah, you know, yeah. 
And it's not even about forgiveness because that again is can just be a bypass. It's about let's go through some sort of accountability process. Mm-hmm. You know, because forgiveness without acknowledgement or self-responsibility is just like a sticky, sticky plaster. You know, yes. we think we'll come back in. I would want to know like what work, what inner work have you done around this? Mm-hmm. What do you know now that you didn't know then? What's your understanding of your behavior and how are you going to do things differently? Get a coat. Yeah. Like a reserve or therapist. Right. And this feels yeah, so pertinent in terms of the evolution of the field of sexuality. In terms of, you know, for people that yeah are coming into it for the first time, like, yeah, who are your teachers' teachers? Who do they go to? Who's their supervisor or their support system? Who are they held accountable to? Yeah. Otherwise, it does feel like a yeah, they hold all the power. Yeah, totally. And I think just coming back to the kind of term that you mentioned about like being trauma informed, I think it's so important and it's it's quite new, right? Trauma work is quite new, but it's gonna, I think it's gonna change the face of things because what area of life is more traumatic than sex? I just don't know. Right? It's yeah. like the biggest, yeah. most distorted, shadowy part of, of being human that I know yeah. of. Right. And, that, and yet we, we go into these sort of spaces without this understanding of our nervous system. Right. These altered states that I spoke of can also be like a really dysregulated nervous system. Mm, yeah, absolutely we can feel like we're having this sort of godlike experience and really like our system is just all over the place and you know we need our nervous system to be we need to have a a, a relationship with our nervous system right to know what's right and what's wrong for us and and what feels yeah what's a warning sign this is another thing like what's a trigger as in like something old is being shown to you and what is your body's warning sign yeah I always see this sort of teaching, like your triggers are your teachers. And I'm like, yeah, they could be teaching you that something's not right here. They're not always something because I used to take that teaching as every time I'm triggered, I've got work to do. Oh, yeah. I so, yeah. I'm like, God, no, your triggers were telling you to get the fuck out, Amy. (laughs) Because that that belief is almost saying, if I do enough work on me on myself, I'll never be triggered. If you lose your system you're fucked mm. like how do you know that you know a lion's about to come and eat you if you've got no inner you know sort of survival system you haven't got that fight flight mode within you that is our trigger system right we absolutely need that we need to we often override it we'll often be in situations we're like mm, i don't feel that safe and we'll override that with our brains you know mm-hmm. with our cognition yeah, gosh, and I, I love that you've named this piece around, yeah, the triggers, because then I find this plays into the power dynamics of like self-responsibility. It's your trigger, it's your stuff. And just emphasizing the importance of being around, yeah, the practitioners that can hold the boundaries for you, or they're not going to play into the dynamic of like, yeah, this is your trigger. They'll be able to take, like you said earlier, relational repair, you know, yeah. so it's like integrated teachers, integrated space holders. So that these dynamics, yeah, aren't so susceptible to playing out. Yeah. And it's an interesting one that 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 teaching, I'm doing quotation marks of like, it's your trigger, your stuff. Because 
you're, it, it sounds like it's self-responsibility, but it's actually avoidant of responsibility for the, the other person involved. Absolutely. This is, this is it. Yeah. And, and there needs to be space for the gray area. There needs to be space for the nuance because essentially we do harm people, mm. right? We do trigger people. I mean, that, you know, you've got to be discerning about it. If I'm just being like, I'm just living my life and I trigger someone, it's not my stuff. You know, (laughs) if I'm saying things to people and directing my energy towards them and relating to them and I'm triggering them, there's something for me to look at. What am I doing? Why am I doing that? Have I harmed them? Right. There's space for that conversation. Right. So yeah, I really feel like the trauma informed piece perhaps is, is a good way or like this spirituality has become disembodied in many or, or is disembodied in many respects and doesn't foster connection, healthy connection and community or can, or can be supportive of avoiding healthy connection and, and community. But I suppose we've mentioned a few sort of those sort of spiritual teachers that can be used to avoid Mm-mm. sort of like being in the humanness and being in the connection and reducing harm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, yeah, so grateful that you are a teacher in this field, like that level of safety to feel with you, you know, that ownership piece, knowing that we can have these conversations that we can sit with, with each other or like we're in community and really sit with our stuff of what's coming up. And it yeah. feels like we've spoken about that trauma-informed piece. I feel like there's a level of healing that needs to go on for practitioners to even acknowledge that you spoke about that like incongruence or before earlier from people when they realize around harm. And it feels like lots of practitioners may need to move through their own trauma healing so they can sit and still love themselves even when they've acted out of integrity. Yes, that's exactly it. And I think it kind of comes back to what, what comes up to me is that kind of splitting. Mm-hmm. That, be a practitioner, I have to be perfect. And, you know, it's a dangerous game when you create your self-identity around your work. Yeah. Or really yeah. you create your self-identity around something that's sort of perfect and, you know, I think as a practitioner, it's important to be able to separate yourself from that role as well, to be able to say, actually, you know, I did that wrong or I did harm rather than like, oh my God, my, my worth and my presence and my being and my sense of self is dependent on being an amazing practitioner. Mm, yeah. You're going to get it wrong. Right. And I, I wonder, I'm just now just, yeah, feeling into, I want, you know, a lot of us are running our businesses on Instagram, which it needs to be sort of perfect and glossy. And it kind of, you know, there, there seems to be like less and less space for us to be imperfect in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like an individual and it's a collective, right? We, we individually feel like we can't be imperfect, but collectively there's a lot of people out there will will project. You need to be perfect because you are a practitioner. And the only thing we can do is just get really, really in right relationship with self. Yes. And admit when we're wrong, right? And I know from the outset, I really appreciate people who admit when they're wrong. Yeah. I also appreciate people when they might be called in or something and still stand by what they said. You can feel when someone's like run it through their system and said, I hear you. I also feel 
that. I stand by what I said. And you can feel when someone's defensive because they're protecting this sense of self that they've created. And I get that. I get that, right? We all have our sense of self. I guess it's the ego self, isn't it? Which isn't a bad thing. But it's like we all kind of attach to I'm this, I'm this, I'm a mother, I'm a wife. And, you know, and whenever we attach, I'm a practitioner, I'm a sex coach. And when we have these identities, anything that challenges our ability to be great in that can feel, we can get defensive around, right? I'm a great wife, I'm a great mother. How dare you Mm, say challenge anything? You know, I'm a great sex coach. How dare you say that? but it's like yeah we we will fuck up (laughs) absolutely we will fuck up that is part of learning that is part of healing is that fucking up process and again it's that kind of like contrast of we're on this self-growth path so you've got to understand that you're going to do things wrong from which to grow from right so Mm. it's not a, a yeah it's not a bad thing it doesn't have to send us into a shame spiral yeah getting in relationship with your shame doesn't overrun you so it doesn't rule you yeah because shame is the big one yeah like i am this and now you're telling me i'm not a good this or i'm a bad this or i shouldn't be this that's like oh shame on who i am right yeah and from this place then it may feel too painful to even look at any stuff we're already maybe in collapse we may already be you know it's too much for our system when we're overrun with that voice yeah, totally. I mean, I love your language, Maddie, and I, I resonate with it. And it brings me into sort of like contact with, yeah, like the nervous system again. And mm. yeah, I even remember just last year, anytime anyone would sort of say anything that wasn't praising me or supporting what I said on Instagram, I would get really out of regulation. I'd be like, trying to process like oh and slowly slowly I've learned to self-soothe that part of me you know I've learned to Mm -hmm. kind of like regulate that part of me it doesn't throw me off so much you know and then from that space right when you can self-soothe you can be discerning about how you respond yeah or if you you know not everything requires a response sometimes you're like yeah they're right that is something that's true sometimes it's Mm -hmm. like that being mean trolling or you know you can get starting mm. but before that everything felt like it was a, an attack on my business attack mm. on practitioner attack on everything that I feel attack on the only thing that I've got to identify with in that moment mm. yeah oh just really celebrating this journey and the sense of ease that it feels like it's come from this ability to self-soothe and bring it back to yourself and that separation and it feels like it's almost like this is conscious relating in, in with your business. This is part of this like real, yeah, mature relating that steps out of codependency. Because one thing I've noticed is I work with other practitioners with like supervision and quite a common theme can be like a codependent piece with our business. So it's like, I need to show up in this way to be loved. I need to show up in this way to receive the praise or the recognition. And what I love is that you've, you know, you've had that praise, you've had your business be wildly successful and then separate and really self-soothe and not completely identify with that and therefore not be in that kind of codependent relationship of being like needing to show up as that person, even if it's not authentic. Yeah. Your language that you use and the pieces that you bring in, like this piece around codependency is just bang on, spot on. And let me just say, I still 
a bit codependent in my in my business. <laughs> I don't like it if someone's not vibing with my work or <laughs> or like sessions not landing or someone didn't like it. <laughs> it definitely still exists. I guess it's like I can kind of acknowledge it and be more aware of it, right? And almost like laugh about that part of me. I'm like, you know, my client doesn't love me anymore. What can I do? Kind of thing. <laughs> Where else can I find that love? Find <laughs> <Own> a friend. <laughs> tell me you love me and it'll be fine <laughs> but yeah it's acknowledging there's part of me that doesn't feel loved right it doesn't have to even be a big also to, you know those moments don't even have to be a big like oh my god got to get onto the phone to my therapist it's like yeah, i have codependent parts of me you know and i think the more we deny these parts that's when they come out in shadowy way yeah. Yeah. that's when they start to they basically they just they act out unconsciously right when we're not conscious of them they just act out unconsciously right but I yeah I love that I think I would never have called it codependency until now but it makes so much sense and it's just broadened my understanding of codependency I suppose I would normally relate it to intimate relationships friendships Mm -hmm. partners but it absolutely relates here absolutely is is yeah relevant here Yeah, it's so interesting. And I really feel as well that trauma work, trauma healing, which includes, for anyone listening, includes like developmental trauma. So like attachment issues and wounding, childhood wounding is is really necessary for anyone doing this kind of work. I think just for everyone, necessary for everyone, but for doing this kind of work, right? Who are we when we show up in our roles mm-hmm. and and there's often this kind of like this sort of people are even not thinking about it or they're kind of like I show up as all of me when I do my work but do you really need to show up as all of you doing your work is yeah. that a bit much you yeah. know like, and boundaries yeah exactly I show up as a practitioner right and I you know sometimes I have these conversations like around how I show up on Instagram I was like I'm not gonna show up on Instagram like in the same way as I maybe show up in the bedroom with my partner, although sometimes those black boundaries are a bit blurry, blurry for me. But I, I get to choose how I show up. But it's just important that I'm conscious of who's showing up, you know, and I'm aware. Not everyone gets all of you, you know. Not everyone needs access to all of you. And I guess I'm talking more maybe about social media here, but there's this kind of like pressure to be real or authentic and um and then vulnerable as well and I've at times been too vulnerable and I've shared things that were outside of my nervous system's capacity and it's put me in dysregulation and that's a learning you know actually you don't get to know everything about me and I had to sort of check in and and, and work out like why I was doing that love me I've been through hard times (laughs) and it's so interesting you share this piece because like a phrase landed for me the other day one of my supervisors named it vulnerability porn whoa it is that because I was saying you know I'm quite bound on social media that feels so right with my business and my life and that's where I find like my best mental and like spiritual health and I was like oh do I need to be like you know I've been friends with some influencers and they're very online a lot and I was like, that's not my, that's not where I'm in my relationship. I love my boundaries and feel like I can serve best in that place. And then, yeah, my supervisor said, 
are you sure it's like just showing people are showing up or is it vulnerability porn? Like, are we in an era of like pouring ourselves out also, also like a, um, an idol piece as well? Like, Oh, can I be more, I'm more vulnerable. Here's more of my trauma, you know, like a, yeah. almost like a competition. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's so interesting as well in that it kind of feeds into something that I've been reflecting on for the last few months in this kind of like, I'm definitely in it, which is why I'm reflecting mm-hmm. it kind of like that we're, we've kind of become like this hybrid influencer therapist role. Yeah. yeah right. I love the way you do that, Maddie. And I love that boundary space, but it's like, this is just my teachings and this is what I deliver. And I'm kind of already in it and I, I love it. And I'm seeing like, how much of yourself do you commodify? Right. Mm. It's like there's there is something about embodying the teachings, right? And then there is something about not everything that I teach I have to have experienced or be doing, or you know, like I teach self-pleasure, right? And and like in a really sort of sort of expanded and grounded way. It doesn't mean like every day I'm self-pleasuring for 10 hours. <laughs> you can teach about relationships without being in a relationship. And then on the other side of the spectrum, it's like you can really commodify something like, oh my God, I had a trauma and now trauma therapist. Mm. God, I'm in relationships and I'm a relationship coach, you know? And it's like, when you really commodify that, there's no space for, oh, my relationship broke up. I'm still in a relationship. You know, like, yeah, you've got to, yeah we're going to have our experiences and sometimes want to share that or not, but you don't have to have had the experiences and be sharing it necessarily to be trained and skilled yeah. in what you do, yeah. right? Does that make sense? Oh, total sense. I feel like you're speaking to my heart so deeply. It is such a nuanced era that we're moving into as practitioners. People can be expected to be online all the time. They may want to know what you're up to every day. And it's just this, you know, I remember when I was first in with my first therapist and she didn't have Instagram. And then now I'm working with people and I see their Instagram and I was like, this is a whole different, like, yeah, just new boundaries. You know, how do we navigate this era of people being online all the time and sharing all the time? Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting you said that because none of my teachers are on Instagram. Mm. None of the teachers, none of the therapists, none of the coaches that I've worked with, apart from business coaches, on Instagram. Yeah. Right. And and actually, when you look at the kind of traditional therapy model, you wouldn't know what's going on in there. They would actually yeah. not tell you. And you wouldn't choose a therapist based on how well they've therapized mm. <laughs> themselves or like how good their relationships are or like what their, you know, how many addictions they have or anything like that. You wouldn't, cho- you wouldn't need to know that I'm a therapist, but we kind of expect more from people, from our coaches and things now. And in, and I guess in a sense, it makes sense because a lot of, people are doing this work without training that comes with a regulated body. Mm-hmm. So we, when we go to a therapist, we trust that they have a whole sort of staff network and mentors and, and a, a, regu- a body of regulation to keep them in check that we can go to. In some respects, there's a lot of red tape in that, right? Not a lot of space to expand and bring in different modalities and different parts of ourselves. And now we've got the other end of the spectrum. We've got like spiritual work, which is completely unregulated. Yeah, and yeah. people are kind of like popping up and being like, you know, I'm, I've got these gifts and, and, and whatnot. And, and we want to create space for that. And then also that safety, that regulation, that like, 
yeah, that kind of rooted, grounded boundary. Yeah, again, it's like that that meeting in the middle, right? The the kind of the more freedom than perhaps traditional models allowed. But then also the regulation that allows for safety and, uh, and for trust and and accountability. Accountability. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. an interesting world that we're living in. Mm. And it's really lovely to hear the level of self-reflection you have, like this meta self-reflection around like, wow, who am I within this changing model? What does that mean for me and, and my business and these pieces? And I feel like that creates such a deeper sense of safety with you. And, you know, with this, knowing that you kind of have this, yeah, self-awareness and the willingness to look at your stuff and look what's coming up and like navigate support if needed, how do you kind of bring all these different threads together for the work that you kind of do? And how does that grow? I imagine from when you first started Temple of the Feminine, your work was a certain way. And I'd love to know how, yeah, these themes have evolved for how you work with women now. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good question. Because, yeah, I just think back, oh, bless me when I first started. <laughs> but it makes then it makes me think, what am I going to be like in five years? The thing is about consciousness as well is that you just don't know what you're not conscious of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, consciousness is this word. I mean, I'm using consciousness because what you said, sort of like that self-awareness and stuff, it just consciousness feels like the right kind of word for it, like what you're becoming conscious of. You know, consciousness, again, is one of those words that we use as in it's like an absolute, like I'm a, I'm a conscious something. It's like, but how do we ever really know? I guess how it's changed my work is like really humbled me, right? Mm. But in that humility kind of increased my sense of self-worth and my confidence. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm humble, but probably more full of myself at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But maybe in a bit more of a grounded way. I just I know what I know and I know I know what I don't know, maybe. Yeah, yeah I so um, get you. This like grounded sense of, yeah, like I know my shit. I know my stuff. And the stuff that I don't know I'm willing to refer on. But the stuff I do know, like I know inside out and I trust that like I'm one of the best I can do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Feeling like that. Love that. And I guess this kind of, when you know that you don't know everything, there always creates space to learn and to grow. But then also when you also know the things that you do know, you can kind of really back them, you know, mm. back yourself and, and really go sort of, you know, fully with conviction forward with them. You know, so I guess it creates a stronger practice, a stronger service, a stronger offering in that sense that isn't watered down by perhaps times when I thought of maybe thought that I was expected or expected myself to know everything. Mm-hmm. And so it would kind of be like scrabbling to expand myself everywhere and, and water myself down in that mm-hmm. sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a really, it's interesting to kind of, feel into that journey oh I just yeah I feel like the Amy that first started Temple of the Feminine I just don't think I was as fully in my body as I am now maybe I'll get more in my body and what I mean by that anyone doesn't understand what I'm saying I guess it's for me being fully in my body means being more connected to my wholeness and my own truth and my center 
rather than perhaps my energy being pulled out here and there and my energy not going up and out yeah. in like my head and like out here and and being I guess when I'm more in my body I'm more rooted and grounded mm. and still and central I feel like even just like I'm you know like I put on weight over over lockdown but I feel like that's part of my embodiment like mm. part of my grounding part of my rooting I'm I'm heavier like you know mm. I'm, I'm heavier to the earth I'm more landed on the earth in that sense mm. uh, which all sounds very esoteric and very kind of like non-tangible <laughs> but I guess it's like yeah I feel clear grounded and rooted in myself rooted in myself and what I do and and who I am but then I also know that <laughs> I can get really esoteric and like what does that even mean I'm just a combination of experiences that I've had <laughs> have made me who I am today oh, oh. Wow. yeah just really honoring this journey that you've been on and I feel like this is a, this could be a topic for a whole conversation in itself but really appreciating and celebrating like the changes your body went through during lockdown and that there's this yeah. allows you to be more grounded you know looking at it from this way I'm just like oh this is so beautiful yeah it feels like when you're able to separate the sense of like what your body looks like or what size it is from what society tells us that means for me I'm like my pelvis feels like the pendulum mm. right? and there's, there's weight there and I'm in the middle, if that makes sense. You know, I feel like I'm landed. I've arrived in this body, in this life at this moment in time. I'm open to jetting off again. <laughs> that is so beautiful. <laughs> I have arrived. To, yeah. I'm always open to these things wavering. Probably even yeah. just... Yeah, being human, you know, one minute having this conversation and then tomorrow being like, oh, wow, that doesn't resonate so much, you know, and the freedom in that. So we've gone like to other realms. Yeah, we really have. These are conversations that I love having. Yeah. I'm sorry to any listeners if you expected more sex. <laughs> and this, is wholeness. this is the wholeness of, of sex and life. Yeah, exactly absolutely needs to be part of the conversation you know I'm I'm kind of I'm moving I never really was but I'm kind of going to be moving away from the kind of like touch yourself here do this like get into pleasure it's really important but there's just so much more that's that's ready to kind of be birthed through me and that kind of looks maybe at the overview and, and things you know I guess the pieces that we shared you know this how this sort of fits into society and the collective and the bridging of that kind of like spirit matter, humanness, God-like stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah, this real like right relationship piece that you named. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And yeah, and how we root in our sexual selves in that, how we show up in our sexual selves in that, mm. and responsibility of our sexual selves. Right, not just flailing around like having sex with anything yeah. and not, you know, taking responsibility for our sexual energy and our interactions. Mm, yeah, amen. Yeah. Amen. So I love this. Okay, so uh, okay, I've got two questions then. Sure. I felt really humbled when you spoke about the humbling that's taken place within your journey you know, the, the growing up that's kind of happened within yourself and your business. And I would love to know some kind of key lessons that you feel like have come up within that, that feel like, oh, wow, this is, this is how I approach maybe relationships or sex now, as opposed to maybe even, 
yeah, at the beginning, because it feels like you have gone on such a journey and something I do, yeah, love about you is like your integrity. You know, I've been on like psychosexual somatics therapy with you, you know, and just seeing this evolution of like these next level trainings and, and seeking the next appropriate support and going to the deeper levels. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I found Tantra as I shared through sort of Kundalini white Tantra. And I was like having all this, I would call it maybe a sexual awakening that word mm. works. And I guess from there, I then started sort of doing all the trainings, being in all the spaces, doing all the things. I thought that there was a place to be and that that place was to be totally open and in this like openly sexual space and be willing to try everything. And, you know, the work was to get okay with all these things, right? And if I was ever not okay with something, it was like, wow, I need to do more work on Mm. myself. And you know what? I'm not going to take full responsibility for that because that was also reflected to me. Within these spaces. Yes, it's not a, a narrative that only I was embodying. And so the biggest lesson was like, actually, no. The mm-hmm. only thing I need to do is be true to myself. Yeah. And that will change in any given moment. And, you know, I never have to be okay with things that I'm not okay with. Yeah. And the empowerment is knowing what I'm not okay with and speaking to that. That's mm. when I'm empowered. You know, I'm empowered. You know, it's empowering for someone to be like, I'm just not that sexual. And I don't want to be, you know, don't want to have sex again. Mm. That's not necessarily my truth right now. But if that was my truth at some point, I wouldn't necessarily think there was something wrong with me mm. and that I need to fix myself to fit someone else's blueprint. Mm. I, I think that that is one of my key teachings mm. in what I do. So, of course, if it doesn't work for the person, then they're going to come and want to do work, work on it and, and whatnot. But ultimately, I think that we often get tied up in other people's ideas of how we should be, or maybe our own ideas that we've we've kind of picked up from friends, family, communities, media, peers, and we get tied up in thinking that is the way we need to be sexually. Mm. It's like actually, I only ever need to be what is true to me and my body. And I think this is the embodiment piece. It's like, if my body's saying this isn't okay for me, it's not okay for me. And it doesn't need to be a a reason. It doesn't need to be a big necessarily delve into why, unless it's something that part of me feels I really want and part of me is holding back. You know, it's like knowing what's right for me is, yeah, it feels like the work. And it is work because you always get pulled out of it, (laughs) you know, and and especially at the beginning when you become aware of it, it's very easy to kind of get pulled out of it. I'm so impressionable. Like, I don't think anybody realizes how impressionable I am. (laughs) I've been like this all my life. Like when I was younger, I was really academically clever. And then I went to, to high school and it was cool in primary school for me to be clever and top of everything. And then I went to high school and it wasn't cool. I remember getting top marks in my German test and getting teased. So I would dumb down my tests. Mm. I would do anything to fit in with those around me. So it's been a big part of my journey to get like, yeah, in right relationship with myself. Mm. Like, who am I? What do I want? Who, you know, what are my values? What are my beliefs? And then let people 
mold around me. <laughs> no, yes. don't. But I was always trying to mold into other, other people and to mold into other sort mm. of people. Things. Yeah. Oh, and just, yeah, really celebrating that younger version of you. I'm so glad you brought this into our conversation because I feel like within the healing or personal development community, we are more impressionable because we want to heal and grow. So therefore we can be bypassing our own boundaries. And I remember being at festivals and thinking, I've got to do this workshop because I'm afraid and therefore I've got to go to my edge. And I'm like, oh, you didn't have to, you know? So just, I love this lesson of like, what what is right for me what is right for my body yeah yeah and I think you know I think it's fair to say neither of us have stayed in our comfort zones you know I'm I'm kind of just in a place where it's like I don't want it to be that hard anymore yeah yeah I want to be in connection with joy and and all the other feelings, but maybe not, you know, it could be maybe a bit sadomasochistic with that and like, oh, let's go into this this workshop so I can feel more fury or more anger, more pain. And it did work a lot, like I said, with like the repressed emotions and stuff. And it's good to have those tools, mm. but it's good to just get a bit more solid in my sense of self, which I'm, I'm just very susceptible to other people's, even just, I mean, even just in terms of, like trying to find a place to live mm. this year, you know, and I, I'm sure everyone can resonate. Like, you know, I think, oh, I should be someone who's in Bali or I should be someone who's in Mexico in Tulum. And they're all like really beautiful places with like lovely people who I know, like yourself, Maddie, but it just wasn't my truth, mm. you know, it just wasn't what I wanted. And it's this really beautiful and sort of new space to be like, you can go wherever you want, Amy. Where do you actually want to be? Mm. You know, outside of if you put the blinkers on, what actually feels good in your body, right? Not what looks good, not where like your friends are, but what feels, not that being where friends are is a bad thing. <laughs> but I was like, what does my body actually need? My body. Mm. Yeah. And so I'm in this little coastal town in the UK. <laughs> yeah, which is such a beautiful place to be, you know, and like I know a bit about it and I'm like, wow, that feels like so grounding and so nourishing. Yeah, thank you. And I feel so happy here and it wouldn't make sense to anyone else because it's not their truth, yeah. you know. Mm. It is that age-old thing around, well, not, I say Instagram age-old thing of like designing your life on someone else's sort of highlight reel and yeah. like, have to close your eyes and get like feel into your body around like what's your truth mm. what do you really want yeah um, beautiful want anger to come back to what do you really want yeah yeah what do you mm. really mm. yeah and yeah. thank you and I feel like this has been such a beautiful lesson that you've worked well many lessons within that question I feel like you just were pouring out some wisdom and I was like wow there's so much here <laughs> and yeah I'd love to finish on like you know knowing what you know now and you know, feeling before we started recording, we're talking about the word of contentment, you know, really tapping into this like content sense of self and and where you are now. I would love to know if there's any advice that you would give your younger self. Oh, 
poor little younger self. Yes, I actually wrote a few things down. <laughs> I got so um, just for anyone listening, Maddie sent me some maybe suggested questions that we haven't really touched on. <laughs> we haven't at all. I think like the first one, and then we're like, <laughs> you've just really gone into the zone space. <laughs> we were just telling all these spiritual gurus about themselves. <laughs> but I got your email when I was on the way back from Morrison's, and I was like having this little word with myself, my younger self, and it was just like so cute. But I, this is the one I came up with. So it's like, uh, so yeah, hey babe, I know you're in pain and you feel lost and confused, but that's because you're surrounded by the wrong people. You haven't found your people yet, but hang on in there because one day all these parts of you that people right now are looking down upon and saying that are wrong with you, someday you'll see that they are your gold and you'll be loved and celebrated for what makes you uniquely you until eventually you will start to believe it too. And in that you will blossom just as you should. Hang on in there. And in the meantime, you've got to start being your number one cheerleader. And that's that's a good thing because I wasn't planning on saying about me being impressionable. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, that was so beautiful. Like I was moved, like I was speechless at the end. I was like, wow. And what yeah powerful and insightful words to end on you know I feel like that's really sunk to another level and we've spoken a lot about embodiment and I feel like that has just really landed in my bones and I feel so grateful for all that you have shared today like all these really these snippets of wisdom from like esoteric pieces to the groundedness to the shadow to the reflection and then just landing on this really gentle loving empowering piece thank you so so much Amy yeah, thank you, Maddie. Thank you, mm. thank you for having me. Mm, my pleasure. Mm-hmm.